Hello and welcome to Conscious Conversations with One Breath Institute with your hosts, Lisa McNett and Debbie Sherman. Tune in for mind-blowing conversations on how to be more conscious and present in your life. Topics we cover include healing, spirituality, introspective breathwork, astrology, dreams, alternate states of consciousness, and so much more. Hear from us and our interesting guests. Make sure to follow and subscribe to easily find us and listen again. (laughs) All right. Hello. Hello, everyone who's tuning in. My name is Debbie Sherman, as you heard in the intro, and today we have Lisa McNett, founder of One Breath Institute, sharing her kundalini awakening story. So before we dive right in, I'm going to invite you to take a breath with us. Yeah, maybe add a little bit of movement because there's so much energy and so much uh, passion and excitement and very raw truth that is going to be coming through through this story. And just as a little bit of a background, this story, this real life experience that Lisa has had has been something that she has really dived in and did a lot of inner reflection of what exactly happened and how it happened and what all it meant. And with all of that, more and more questions as a person, as a conscious partner and friend in her life, I have heard her endlessly reflect inward and ask herself questions of, okay, well, if I had this experience, then who am I? So that will be another part of our podcast at another time. But today specifically, we're talking about Kundalini Awakening. And if you don't know what that is, that is okay. We're going to tell you an experience of it right now, or Lisa is. So I'm going to need to take one more breath because I feel a lot of energy in my heart space and my solar plex. Hmm. Yeah, and for your those listening, I would really... Um, recommend that you keep your feet steady on the ground for this one. So hi, Lisa. How are you this morning? First question. (laughs) I'm well this morning and I'm excited to be here. And I noticed, yeah, as you started speaking, uh, like so much energy moving within me and like tears coming to the surface and I'm not going to call it anxiety. Uh, we, You are so good at speaking about how anxiety and excitement feel so the same, right? <laughs> so I'm having just some of that, just like so much movement. And it's because I've never told this story publicly before. I've never spoken about this publicly before. Um, very few people who are close to me know anything about this, and you are one of them. So Yeah, that brings a lot. Well, that is the raw truth. And as a gentle beginning, and you can take the story however feels right, I would like to know what time in your life began this journey? Where were you in the world when you, yeah, began this Kundalini awakening? What was happening at that time? 
give us the very, very beginning. Hmm. The very, very beginning. What's the very, very beginning of this story? The very beginning yeah. of this particular story that I'm thinking about is arriving and putting your feet on the soil in India. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in India and, um, but yeah, reflecting back, um, I have to go forward to go backward because I was going through these journals when I was in my breathwork facilitator training and I was going through these journals that I had written and they were in the late eighties and the early nineties. And at that time I was writing in my journals, go to the mountain, go, go meditate in the cave, go meditate in the cave, go meditate in the cave. Like, like several different journals on several different pages over and over and over. Go meditate in the caves. Go to Asia and meditate in the caves. Go to Asia and meditate in the caves. So I there was something calling me to this place probably my entire life. And so I had been fighting my life and I had been fighting my path and I had been um, so struggling with things that had happened to me. And so I came to a breaking point. Um, I had been managing a dueling piano bar for like five years. It was in this, this total crazy nightclub atmosphere. And um, I daydreamed. I daydreamed. I would at like 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning when the whole house, the whole club was full and people are vomiting everywhere and all kinds of chaos and madness was ensuing. I would go downstairs to my office and I would research flights to Asia. <laughs> like, I'm just going to walk away from this and I'm going to go. But that was crazy talk. Like, who does that? So instead, when I had my breakdown, I came back to Florida. I got a job at a really nice resort managing a fine dining restaurant and the lobby lounge of a hotel in this resort overlooked the ocean. And every day I was practicing yoga and walking on the beach and doing some meditation and wanting to go, wanting to go, wanting to go, wanting to go. And so finally I did it. I booked my flight to India. I wanted to uh, immerse myself. I wanted to get as far away from my life as I could, but I also wanted to immerse myself into the yoga culture. That was very important to me. So I found a place um, that uh, resonated with me. And yes, I had a three-month stay. <sighs> Arrived to Mumbai, then another flight to Chennai, then a long drive to um this Ayurvedic and yogic center that I was. And once I was there every single day, I was completely immersed in the yogic lifestyle. So I was doing, uh, you know, everybody thinks of yoga as asanas or postures, but there's eight limbs of yoga. There's the yamas, which are your moral restraints, you know, ex external way of being. Your niyamas, which are your internal uh, internal observances, internal purifications, if you will, uh, asanas, which are the physical poses, uh, pranayama, which is breath work, pratyahara, which is that withdrawal of the senses, dharana, which is concentration, 
dhyana, which is meditation, and then samadhi is complete union. So I'm saying that now because I went through the whole process of the eight steps of yoga, the eight limbs of yoga without that expectation. But I was in India and I was freaking detoxing on every level through all of these processes. So I want to know if you could paint a picture of just visually for a moment, what it looked like where you were. It was absolutely gorgeous. I was in Kunur, India, which is the south of India. Um, yeah, pretty far south. And it's cooler there. There's It's mountainous. So there's it's filled with tea plantations. And actually the place that I was staying was a tea farmer tea plantation so these this, these major really high actually we went to it was only a short drive to the highest one of the highest peaks in india and um about eight thousand six hundred something feet so almost nine thousand feet so where i was it was very mountainous very high high elevation and beautiful like tea leaves down the sides of the mountain, the water, most of the water in India is not safe to drink, but here the water was safe to drink um, just because of the location. And that was a blessing. And yeah, we would practice yoga. The sun would be rising as we're practicing yoga at six o'clock in the morning, just overlooking the mountain. Um, the There was a garden vegetable there. So a lot of the food was freshly grown and uh, we got to, there were monkeys that would come and steal the food. So we would feed the monkeys the leftovers every morning to try to keep them from the garden. Thank you for painting that picture just a little bit more in detail of, yeah, what it looked like. Cause I had this image of you driving on the bus or riding on the bus, stepping your feet out into the, onto the soil, experiencing visually what, yeah, all that, that beginning of the three months had to offer. And it sounds like what you were calling for, I need the cave, I need the mountains, was right there. So you were there for three months. Can you walk me through yeah, what your daily practice would look like if there was um, consistency and routine. Okay, yeah, and the cave came a little bit later, but. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so it changed, it shifted a little bit. Um, so I had registered for the whole three months of yoga certification and it was, it was, you know, a six week, six weeks of yoga supposed to be and then the other six weeks was supposed to be or beginner yoga and then the second six weeks was supposed to be advanced yoga training so i was going to get a full 500 hour yoga certification but the yoga teacher didn't like me so so the um which was fine uh so the second six weeks i ended up um, having the opportunity to study ayurveda which was actually amazing and a big i was supposed to do that so so, but what I want to say is that it was Gurukul style. So for myself, the uh, in the yoga training, it was just myself and one other girl who were training with our guru. And then when I was in the Ayurvedic studies, there were four of us training together. And, and one of these girls is the one who took me to the cave. So the morning looked like 5 a.m. waking up, 
um, by 5.30. I it was a long stairway up to the yoga studio because the yoga studio was, again, on a peak. And then an hour of yoga, an hour, hour of physical yoga every morning. And then we had breakfast outside every day. Seven to eight was breakfast outside. We had a little bit of free time. And then I would go in um, for lessons. I think I think we it was either 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. When I was studying yoga, it was in for yoga lessons, and that was studying the Yoga Sutras, start learning about yoga. When I was in Ayurveda, it was learning about the Ayurveda. And, um, and then after that would be a physical practice, another yoga practice, uh, asana practice. Then we would have lunch. Then after lunch would be more study, more intro, you know, more studying of the lessons, whether it's, um, the yoga, uh, you know, learning the yoga sutras, which I learned all Sanskrit while I was there, <laughs> or, you know, learning Ayurveda. And then um, I had meditation every day for an hour. We did meditation. There were, when I was practicing yoga, two more yoga practices a day. And when I was studying Ayurveda, there was an opportunity to, we actually gave each other Ayurvedic treatments. We were learning Ayurvedic treatments. So it's different massages, different um, physical body techniques. And so we would experience those uh, and give each other those, which was really, really nice. And we did Kriyas. So Kriyas are purification techniques. So one day might have looked like um, sitting in a room with my yoga teacher and the other yoga student drinking salt water till we puke in a bucket. So that <laughs> that's fun. But um, lunch was always outside. Dinner we had inside. And the end of the, the day, the day ended at 7.30 was when we were done eating. And then I was usually in bed by like 8, 8.30, pretty early, especially since it was cold. Wow. Well, that is a jam-packed day. And I am just, my brain kind of melted away because I was like, I can't even pay attention to what all of what is happening. Um, so I'm having some grace for me in that moment. But you know, what was really standing out was discipline. It sounds like you and you committed to discipline and to discipline within yourself. And, um, and I just, I want to know I know what, what you went through and I know you did the purges and, and just for everyone who may not really understand what that is, I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about how it felt in your body. I just want to know how it felt in your body. And I think this will be a really great gateway into your story. So I want to know kind of like maybe even the before and after the purges or before and after some of the yeah, yoga practices, anything in particular that's standing out that you feel you would want to share right now is like a before and after. And I'm not talking about before India and after India. I'm talking about day to day. What did it feel like before and after a practice? That's really a hard question to answer because like the whole day was a practice, right? Um, Sunday was our only day off. Sunday was actually it was so weird. We were supposed to um, we were supposed to teach yoga every Sunday 
um, unsupervised, which was kind of weird <laughs> to, to everybody who was staying there. And so we kind of, <laughs> some Sundays we did and some Sundays we didn't. We were kind of like, F that, like, <laughs> we need a break. But the break would look like um, walking up and down the mountain and exploring the countryside. But But the before and after is hard because the whole day was like, the practice. And so um, a few things that I'll speak to are, um, you know, it was not easy. <laughs> it was not easy. Uh, my body in many ways felt um, I could feel myself getting stronger, you know, it felt really good. But then at the same time, like literally, my skin was um like I, broken out in pimples everywhere and uh for like for like weeks and for like weeks and maybe almost the whole time and I was you know saying to the Ayurvedic physician it's the oils that we're putting on my face and he was like no it's your body detoxing I went through um I I got sick like I got sick I had to miss like I wasn't supposed to miss, but I had to miss a couple of days, like I think two days because I was with a fever, like just burning everything up, like cold, you know, mucus, everything coming out. And then there was a time that I literally, sorry, everybody had diarrhea for like a freaking week for like almost seven days. And um, I was, I was in with the Ayurvedic, I was practicing Ayurveda then and it was with an Ayurvedic physician. I was saying, to give me something, you have to stop this. I'm dying. I have to go to the hospital. <laughs> and I was still going down to study. He was like, No, you're still gonna study, you're gonna eat gruel, you know. <laughs> and I was like, I'm dying. And he's like, Nope, you're just detoxing, you know. And he was he would give me herbs to make sure I was hydrated. He was like, All of this needs to get out of your body. And so there was just a lot of unpleasantness that happened, and that is what stands out in my mind, of course. And the feelings of strong, like it's the two, the two extremes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm so happy you shared that rawness and that truth. Um, and, and I'm so happy because we're wanting to paint a real life picture for all of our listeners for what it is and what it can look like when someone is going through a healing process, right? It's not, we just magically land in a completely different country. We just hang out in the most beautiful, blissful places and we're not challenged with our internal uh, structure. And so it sounds like you really experienced what on all levels, the physical, emotional, spiritual, mental levels of detoxifying. And, um, you know, it's it's just interesting hearing you say this story because even in your sickness, they were like, it's the oil on my skin. It's something external. Help me with this, right? Seeking external. And you had supporters, you had guides that were like, no, 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 it's all internal. And so here we are today telling our students and community something very similar, um, but saving that for another day. So here you are, peaks and valleys every single day, feeling strong, hitting deeps and depths of sickness and rawness and just gross, right? Just like the gross reel that you can't avoid um, because you just have to look inward to become healthy again, right? To know what it, what your body needs, what your unique self needs to be healthy. 
And so with this peaks and valleys, I think I'm ready to hear your Kundalini story. Whew, okay. Yeah, so I don't know exactly. I, 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 I wasn't keeping track of dates, so it doesn't, I, dates don't matter. You know, I wasn't keeping track of dates, but, um, you know, I might have it on paper in storage somewhere, but it doesn't really matter. But I was at least nine weeks in. I was at least nine weeks in because I was in Ayurveda and it was um, one of the women, one of my fellow, my peers, one of the three other the four other, there were three plus me, four, uh, one of the other students, um, she visited India every year for several months. Uh, she lives in uh, Sweden. She's from Sweden. I believe she still lives in Sweden. I haven't spoken with her in a while. But she would visit India every year, and she knew all, she had been to all these different ashrams and knew all of these places to go. And so we were going, we were given an extra day off, so we were going to have a whole weekend off. And we were, we were planning someplace to go. And she says, okay, this is where, this is where you need to go. This is where we're going to go because this is where you need to go. Okay. So we were going to the ashram of Ramana Maharshi. Ramana Maharshi. I had never, I heard of this person before. I had no idea who this person was. And this, it was in Tiruvannamalai. We were going to Tiruvannamalai. We're an ashram of, of Sri Ramana Maharshi is. And there's also, um, this is on a mountain, uh, Mount uh, Arunkala, Arunchala, excuse me, Mount Arunchala. And this is an old, an old, old, old Shaivite site. So it's a Shiva mountain. There was, there was an, uh, yeah, I'll go into that another time. Uh, Lord Shiva was there. And so there's one of the oldest temples in India is also there. And it's a temple dedicated to Lord Shiva. So she says, okay, we need to go to this ashram. I don't know if we can stay at the ashram because it's a full day, few days after the full moon. And every full moon, a lot of Shaivites, Shiva worshipers, and also uh, worshipers of Ramana Maharshi go to the temple and they they pilgrim to the temple and they do their, yes, <laughs> I see you smiling, 13 circles around the temple, which has great significance. So we couldn't stay at the temple. So we take a bus, we take a train, we have a full day of travel. And I'm, I'm building this because this full day of travel, we don't bring water with us. Uh, we are thinking, we aren't realizing we don't bring water, we don't bring food. We really don't have water or food because we were fed these things where we were staying. So we arrive to Tiruvannamalai and we have to find a place to stay. And it's not easy to find a place to stay. And then we have to find a place to eat. And it's not easy to find a place to eat. And it's because this is one of the, this is the only place I had visited so far that no, people weren't speaking English. Like most places in India, even the mountainsides that I was visiting near, the, near where I was staying, these tiny, tiny little villages, people spoke in India, but we were finding places where people didn't speak English. And so we couldn't, yeah, it took a while before we got some water and we got some food. And then that evening we went and we visited the old, um, the temple. And uh, I think that is the night that I do have a photograph of because I met an elephant and I stepped in elephant poop barefoot, which is really gross. <laughs> But the next morning we woke up, 
really early because you're supposed to start this trek up the mountain before dawn. So we arrive and it's, you know, it's, it's, the sun is not really coming up yet. And the mountain, the mountain, uh, so Ramana, Ramana Maharshi had passed away. He's an avatar. And so he was a true guide and a true teacher. And um, he, the ashram came later. He went uh, when he was young and he, he went up to this mountain because it's a Shiva mountain. And he went up and he went in and he built himself a little cave. And he was in this cave and he was meditating for about seven years. And people knew that he was there. They felt his energy. And so they would go and they would bring him water and they would bring him food and they would, you know, pray to him and worship him. And he wanted to, he, that's not what he was there for. So he went higher and deeper into the mountain, created a bigger, deeper cave and went in there. And he spent about twice as long uh, in that cave. Uh, I think it was about 14 years in that cave. I didn't know much about him. I'm just going to say that again at this point. So the mountain is, um, it's, there's a lot of stone. So, and it's, you know, people have been climbing this mountain for years. So it's, it's mostly stone. Of course, there are some bush, but it's a mostly stone mountain. So everything that you do with regards to temple or going into a mountain place like this, it's barefoot. So the sun is maybe just starting to peak up on the horizon. It's maybe about seven o'clock in the morning and we leave our shoes at the base and go up. So we go up barefoot, we go into the first, my two, my two friends and I, we go into the first cave and we sit down and I try to meditate and I can't. I'm just like, my mind is all over the place. I can't focus. Um, it's hot already because it's in a cave and I'm like this, just, just like this agitation. And so I tell my friends, I'm like, I'm going to go up to the other cave. I'm going to go up to the other cave. I can't do it here. And they were like, okay, well, we're going to stay here. So I go up to the other cave, take my time. I didn't, you know, take my, it took a little longer because it was further and I go inside and um, this one, there's like an entry room and there's some books. And then in the meditation room, it's a larger room. And the, the stone is, the stone is carved out so that there's a seat. There's a seat and it kind of goes around. It's like a bench and several people can fit on this bench and it's low. So yeah, I'll just let you know now it's low. You can't stand um, on the bench. So I think there might've, there was either nobody or like one person there. There was it, not much going on. And I go in and I sit down on the bench. I go into my cross leg, my meditative position. I take a few breaths and I don't know why I say this. My eyes are closed. I say, who is my guru? Who is my guru? And then I see in front of me, big face, and it's Ramana Maharshi. I see big, his big face, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> and um, I'm like, okay. And I think I say, show me the way. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that question. Show me the way. Mm -hmm. And then he disappears. And then I saw like some, 
images, like, I'll call them sacred geometry, light, you know, sacred geometry, bright white light. And then I disappear. And then I disappear. So you ask the question. And then, and then you start seeing colors and they start coming into, I imagine your eyes are closed. So they come into your third eye They're and they're just beaming through your third eye, hitting that forehead, going through the crown and beaming through your physical form. And you're seeing initially all of the sacred geometry and a variety of different colors and lights. And now you're telling me you disappear. So, so where did you go? What happened? Or more of a question, how did you know you disappeared, right? Like, how do we know we fall asleep? We only know we fall asleep when we wake up. So how did you know that you disappeared? Yeah, and that's the crazy part, right? That's the part that, that, that leaves one not open to telling the story because people are like, oh, you probably just fell asleep or you just went into a deep meditation or you just zoned out or whatever. No. So the next thing I know, I come back to my body and I feel myself come back into my body because it's like a jolt. And it's not like I left my body. I know I didn't leave my body. I went inside, but I like zap back, I have this like zap and I'm like, and I open my eyes and I am still sitting in the same meditative position. I, my back is ramrod straight, like literally ram. I don't think I've ever sat that ramrod straight before, but same exact position I was in when I went into the meditation, I hadn't shifted. I hadn't moved at all, which is unusual. And my clothes I first thing I noticed is that I was wet. I was wet and I like touched myself and my all of my clothes were completely soaking wet. And I op- you know I, I like I opened my eyes and like everything was like like it's I don't I can't explain it like it took a second for things to come back into focus. And I look around and the whole room is filled with people. So next to me, there there were several people sitting next to me and there were people sitting on the floor meditating. All these people in the room, I'm soaking wet. And I, and I feel like so good. I feel so good. I feel like, like, I, yeah, just bliss, just bliss. So I'm like, whoa, I'm like, okay, what's happening? You know, like I'm wet, all these people are here. What is going on? How long have I been here? So I put my hand, I go to stand up and I hit my head on the stone, right? (laughs) Hit my head on the stone because I forget where I, like I have no concept of like space and where I am in space. Hit my head on the stone and I'm like, ah, so I like kind of roll off the, the stone and I'm standing there. It takes me a minute to get my bearings and just everything. Like my senses were so much more expanded. So I, yeah, there was just a lot going on. So I, I walked like very slowly uh, out into the entry foyer and there were, it was a smaller room, but my two friends were there and they were sitting on the ground and they were reading books. And I was like, 
how long have you been here? <laughs> and they were like, I don't know. You know, I don't know why, you know, I don't know how long. I, or I, that might have been the second question, but I was like, what time is it? You know, like, what's, what time is it? Because I'm like, how much time has gone by? What time is it? They're like, you know, we don't know. Nobody has a watch. I don't know what time it is. How long have you been here? I don't know how long we've been here. I'm like, well, how long have I been here? <laughs> I don't know how long you've been here. I'm like, well, how long were you down there before you came up here? They were like, a while. What's going on? I was like, nothing. Okay, I need to go outside. So I walk outside and I could see from the sun. I could see from the sun. It was afternoon, right? So noon, <laughs> the noon sun it was afternoon. It was probably 12, 31 o'clock. I don't know. But you know, considering I went up here, by the time I got in that cave, it was probably like 7.30, 7.30, 8, 7.45, 8 o'clock, you know, somewhere between 7.30 and 8 a.m. And now it's afternoon. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, at, but at the same time, I was like, once I got outside, I was like, like everything was brighter, everything, I could smell everything, I could feel everything. And I was standing on the stone. Again, I'm barefoot. The sun is beating down on the stone. I'm standing on the stone. It should be burning my feet. I'm like, the stone isn't burning my feet, but it feels so good. It feels so good on my feet, but it's not burning. And I'm just in this like, okay, I all of a sudden I like, I am just... I, I'm just one with everything. And so I try to walk a little bit down the mountain. And as I'm walking down the mountain a little bit, I'm just feeling everything. I'm sensing everything. I'm hearing everything. I'm loving everything. And I keep stopping to just look around because nothing's ever looked this way before. This little butterfly comes and lands on my arm. And I'm like, hey, little butterfly. You know, and the butterfly and I are literally having a conversation. I'm not actually talking to the butterfly, but I know like we are having a conversation in my mind. And the butter, I'm like, you know, asking the butterfly, oh, do you want to hang out with me today? Do you want to walk with me? And the butterfly's like, sure. So I'm literally walking down the mountain with a butterfly on my arm, which is also unheard of. I'm going more into the story than you asked, but I'm just kind of going with the flow of the memory. <laughs> And um, and then I came to um, I came to this man. At some point, I come to this man, and and he's a Shiva worshiper. There's a lot of Shiva worshippers who stay on the mountain, and you know they're Shiva worshippers because they have the white across. They have white across their forehead. And uh, he says, "I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you." And I'm like, "Oh, really? Great." And he's like, yeah, I have something for you. And I'm like, okay, great. What do you have for me? <laughs> like, whereas normally you might, I might've been skeptical. Like, so what did he have? Yeah. Oh, I wish I had it with me. He gives me a very small laminated picture of Ramana Maharshi, the face. Now he lived well into old age. Uh, he lived well into old age. And the face that I saw when I said, who is my guru? The face that was there in the meditation in the cave is the exact face that was on this laminated card. This is here. And I got it and I was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, 
we need to talk. We need to talk. We have so much to catch up on. So we walked over and we sat down. And we talked about the last time we were there together thousands of years ago. So we'll save that part for another day. And I really want to get into the detail because there's some details about this story that you've told me before. And for those listening, this part of the details of her experience is part of what um, I've witnessed her question, who am I and what is this experience? And so what I didn't hear you share in there, Lisa, was that the world was not the physical world. So I'm gonna leave that as an umbrella and I'll let you go into those details if you like. Well, that piece comes later. That piece comes a little bit later, but the who am I, the who am I comes from, that is his main teaching, Ramana Maharshi, Ramana Maharshi. So, I finally make my way down to the bottom of the mountain and um, my friends finally make their way back at some point too. And at this point, I know I'm guided in everything. And I'm like, okay, where am I guided to? What am I guided? What's happening next? Uh, I just knew that I was being guided. And so, so where did I go? Where did I go? I've always said I went into Samadhi because Samadhi is where you go when you go into complete union with the divine. So that is where I went. I freaking merged with the universe. I merged with the divine. And what happens when you merge completely with the divine is that you no longer exist, right? You're no longer aware of your, you exist, but you know, are no longer aware of the physical world. You're no longer aware of your physical body. And so, yeah, that complete union, that samadhi is what I said for years I had. I never called it a kundalini awakening until very recently, um, even though people were like, you had a Kundalini awakening. I was like, I don't want to call it that. I don't really know people who have Kundalini awakenings, blah, blah, blah. I have judgments. <laughs> but that Samadhi is a complete union with the universe and with God. And and you, you can't be completely in that place and also be aware of your physical body. So it's in the coming back that 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 happens, but you're also referring to Debbie later on when I had experiences of being in a room either by myself. First, it happened with with being in a room by myself and tapping into that energy, opening up those chakras, opening up that energy field. What would happen is the room would start to disappear, like the wall would fade, the room would turn sideways. I couldn't get up because I didn't know where the ground was, if it was underneath me. <laughs> like, like the physical material world literally would start to disappear, turn on its side. And it was really hard, would be really hard for me to come back from that. Maybe if I had just trusted and merged into that, this is the, this is what I'm aware of now at this point in my life. Maybe if I had just trusted and merged into that, I would have come back like I did in the cave, but I would I didn't go in in the same way, right? I went in in a way that like, okay, I'm seeing that things are starting to physically disappear and move and shift. And so I would start to panic and freak out and like, you know, like move my body and tap on myself to come back. 
then it started happening with people. So I got involved with uh, oneness, Diksha blessing giving. I was, a, I am, I, but I no longer affiliated or involved with it. Oneness, Diksha blessing giving, and that is a placing of the hands to the frontal lobe to help open up that frontal lobe, that place where the oneness is, and. So somebody like me, who has had an experience of this in the past, um, I found it has a lot more meaning than most people. So what started happening to me um, in these oneness blessings is I would be, because you're you know in a room on a couch, um, my friend, the beautiful Prana Rose's house, who is now passed, and um would receive blessings a few blessings and then i'm sitting there on the couch and the people across from me would become pixelated i would start to see through them to the sofa between them but also and it would be like in patches and pieces so it wasn't like they were 100 percent invisible but i would see through them and then i would see like a patch of whatever sofas behind them i would see patch into through the wall to the next room and I would hold up my arm and I would start, I would see through myself and that is freaky. <laughs> that is freaky. And, um, I heard, <clears throat> yeah, that's freaky. I heard, um, one woman, one other person described this and it was a, a person who was a researcher. Uh, I can't remember what kind of researcher she was, but she was a, a scientist and she was having a stroke and as she was, having a stroke um she was experiencing going back and forth between the left brain and the right brain and um i i can't remember which side it is maybe is but once i mean is it the left brain i don't really know but the one basically that's like doesn't perceive that we are separate she would see through her hand her hand would disappear when she was going into that place and she was able to document it and to write about it she's the only other person i've heard speak about this but Granted, I don't listen to a lot of people speak about it, but, but yeah. And then I would not be able to talk because I'd be sitting there like just overwhelmed with the whole experience that I couldn't talk and, you know, and, and, and it would take a while for people to be like, are, Lisa, <laughs> Lisa, are you okay? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, uh, yes. That dissolving of the physical world, there very much is an awareness that this physical world is a holographic projection. I mean, if you have, you might've heard me say this before, or if you've studied any of this metaphysical type of work, you might've come across the concept that our world is a holographic projection. And that can sound great in theory if you're into that. And, and it can also be like, okay, a lot of questions about that because if this world is a, is a projection, a holographic projection, then how can we be physical? And it's because our mind makes us even real. <laughs> all right lisa let's take a breath um yeah wow i imagine the listeners are experiencing what i experienced the first time uh, i experienced yeah listening to you and also relating it in yeah that uh, disappearing in my own stories but i know that that might be a lot to take in for those who are listening. So I invite those who are listening to take a breath, maybe take a few and um, 
you know, we are reaching around that time and I just want to honor where we are. And I know it's a cliffhanger. I know in so many ways, like this story is a cliffhanger and really every story that we have <laughs> is some kind of cliffhanger because there's so much more that follows um, each story and, and deepens the awareness and embodied experiences of what is true. Um, and so I know there's a lot more coming with the story. So maybe we'll have a part two and a part three and a part four and until we feel complete, because I know today I do not feel complete with this story. <laughs> um, but yeah, so is there any, or do you have any final words or um, anything you would like to say as we are closing the conscious conversation Kundalini podcast part one today. I just want to say that I think a Kundalini awakening is not something that people understand. <laughs> it's not something necessarily to be chased. Uh, I think that it can be achieved. And I think that, um, yeah, I want to talk more when we come back about those kinds of concepts but i want to reiterate that it's not achieved by trying to go out by trying to go out it's by really really coming in and that once we really come in then we open up and expand in a way that literally we're everything and everywhere and um, that's a big misconception and that's a big part of why we at One Breath Institute, you and I encourage the going within, the embodied practices. Yeah, not something to be chased and also be careful what you wish for everyone. <laughs> if you have big, bold, willing, um, full surrender questions like Lisa did when she first entered that cave, <laughs> Be uh, prepared to, to go for the ride because life wants to work with you. So, all right, Lisa, let's take a breath. Thank you so much for your vulnerability today and for sharing your truth to myself yet again. And for those listening in the future, I feel really honored to be in this conscious life journey with you. I love you so much. And, um, Yeah, I can't wait to look back at this story in a couple of years. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to this episode all the way to the end. And for that, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We want to hear from you. Reach out and let us know what you thought of this podcast. And please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends.